So we're, gonna, we're, we're still working through this series, Equip. We've been in this for a while, and we're, we're, we're transitioning the idea of healing and why that matters. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, why, did we, why does this matter? Why do we read this every week? The reason we read it every week is I never want you to forget it. I never want you to forget where truth comes from, where truth lies, where the answers lie to all of life's probing questions. And the problem we have in church today with the body of Christ as a whole is the fact that we have gotten away from this. And since we have gotten away from this, we no longer have a foundation of what to call right is right, wrong is wrong, up is down. I mean, we're, we're, we're a hot mess. We're all about opinions. And our opinions aren't based on anything but emotion, feelings, and what we like, Right? Like, quick show of hands. Does anybody in this room not like ice cream? Show of hands. Anybody not like? Listen, buddy, you and I are built the same. I know better than that. I mean, for real. And so then it's like, okay, great. So everybody likes ice cream now. How many like vanilla? What's wrong with you people? Okay, now we're getting some. How many like chocolate? Wow. Jared raised his hand twice. Jared doesn't care what the flavor is. If it's ice cream, he's eating it. And now we get like, well, who's right? Well, can we all be right? We have differing opinions. I like vanilla. You like chocolate. What do we do with that? And that's what we've done to the church. Well, I don't like that worship style. I prefer to sing hymns. Okay. Well, I don't like hymns because I I can't, like, keep up with them. They're weird. They say weird words. Or, O-E-R. What's that? (laughs) Thou, thuseth, thee. We don't talk like that. Talk like Americans, for heaven's sake. So what do we do with that? Oh, we've got a differencing opinion. Those things are irrelevant. I don't like the carpet color. I don't like the band. I don't like the preacher. I don't like whatever. That, those things are fine and good, and we can argue about those. Here's the problem. We're not arguing about those. Now we're arguing of whether Jesus Christ is the Son of God, if He is the only way to the Father, and what all of those things implicate. You see, we've turned major doctrine into ancillary ideas. The idea that we don't need forgiveness of sins anymore. The idea that we don't need the blood of Jesus poured out in our lives anymore. The idea that God doesn't move the same way that He used to. The idea that you can read things in the Bible and they may be right or they may be wrong. We don't know, but as long as you get the moral of the story, that's what matters. And that is what we have done in the church today. And if that is your belief, then you might as well pick up Grimm's fairy tales and get the moral story out of that because it's all the same. But that's not it. You see, what we have here is a documentation, a group of them, put together by God Himself so that you can understand the hope, will, and character of who God is. And the reason that we have so much turmoil in the church today, especially with young believers, you've got to understand something. With young people today that did not either grow up in church, or they grew up in a church that was very vanilla, and that's not a bad thing, I like vanilla, okay, I'm not knocking vanilla, but you know what I mean. It's the fact that the God that they worship and the God that they put their hope in may not be the God of the Bible. They have expectation of God's characters, which might be outside of God's character. And if that is the case, what happens when he doesn't perform the way you think he should? You throw it out. Must not be real. Must not be true. What do I do? And we wonder why we're so confused. But if we know that all Scripture is given by God, and the things that it does, then we know that this is the foundation. If he's given this, then I can count on it. 
And that brings us to Hebrews chapter 10. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. When you look at the documentation of Scripture, what is it time and time again? God promised he'd do something, and then he did it. And you watch the people that are in this who interact with that concept time and time again. Like, but God did this. How many times is it referenced that when I took you by the hand and brought you out of the land of Egypt? The whole world heard about that. When they showed up to the promised land, they were freaked out because they heard what God had done in Egypt. He reiterates the fact that, hey, I keep my promises. And if that was true then, it must be true today. And some of them we have no problem accepting. Those being, I'm going to heaven. We can accept that promise, but anything here, we don't know what God's will is. We have a problem with that statement. Jesus said that pray like this, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's a question. If that's a guarantee of what God's will is, how can we pray it if we don't know it? And then why do we need to pray it if what God's will is is going to be enacted no matter what? Ever think about that? The reason we pray, Lord, your will be done is because for God's will to go forth, it's done through the hands of man. Your will be done in my life. Lord, do you want me to go to my neighbor who is not a believer and share the gospel with him? Oh, you didn't give me a sign. Must not be your will. I'll wait for one. That's how we act. You don't have to pray about that. How do we know? Because he said, go to all the world. Last time I checked, unless you're in Fall City, you count. That was a joke. Nobody from Fall City, right? All right. You see, we've been... We've been Putting on or looking at this concept, looking at the idea of healing, is what is the expectation when Messiah came? And there were four things, these messianic miracles. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this, but it was the cleansing of a leper, casting on a deaf and dumb spirit, the healing of a birth defect, and the raising of the dead after three days. And so when we looked at all of this, we're saying, okay, what did they expect when Messiah showed up? They expected that he would be able to do these things because only God himself could do these. And then he did those things. So that you think that would scream, oh my goodness, Messiah has arrived. Well, not according to the Pharisees. Because what did they do? It wasn't that they didn't know. It was the fact that they refused to recognize. You see, they were trying to do, maybe we kill Lazarus. Maybe if we bribe the guard. Tell people you fell asleep and the, the, the disciples came and stole his body. Like, they're trying to cover the tracks because they didn't want it to be true. And I've said this time and time again. It doesn't matter what you want to be true. Truth is what it is. You may not like it, but it is what it is. And so in all of this, the expectation was there. Remember we read that verse last week, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And that's where we always stop. But the part after that, because you have rejected knowledge, it was what the Pharisees did. They rejected the truth that was in them, and it brought judgment upon the nation of Israel because of what they did, because they did not declare him Messiah. And so we see the expectation of Messiah there. Then we read in Psalm 103, verse 1, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all His benefits. Who forgives your iniquities, heals your diseases, redeems your life from destruction, crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And we begin to look at this and say, okay, is that true? Is that verse true? Is that passage true? David thought so. He wrote it. Wrote it underneath of an old covenant. Knowing the fact that this was a part of God's character. See, he wrote it not based off the covenant. He wrote it based off the character of God. 
And if we're looking at the character of God, then we can trust in it. Which brings us to this part. What is the expectation of Messiah? Isaiah 53 and verse 4 says, Surely He has borne our griefs, and He's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We will go in depth into this. We're not going to do that yet today. What I told you last week is that word griefs is literally translated sickness. So then we have to do something interesting. We have to determine, well, is that spiritual sickness? Or is that physical sickness? Well, we're not going to answer that today. But what we're going to begin to look at is this passage of what do they expect when Messiah came. According to Isaiah, there was a list of things that would happen. Jesus, of course, fulfilling all of this. But we have to begin to understand what these things were a part of to really get a grasp of what's happening here. You see, the reason there's so much confusion on things like, can you lose your salvation? And what is God's promises enacted, and should, do they apply to my life? Do they not apply to my life? Is this spiritual? Is this literal? What are we talking about here? Is because there's a word that I'm going to give you. It's kind of a church word. We don't use it a whole lot, but we kind of use it, but we don't know what it really means. And so I'm going to give it to you. Are you ready? It's the word covenant. I know you've heard it. And what do we do? We basically break it into two groupings. You've got the old, which is prior to Matthew, and the new after Matthew how we split it up. The problem with that is, that's inaccurate. I mean, it's partially true, but we have to understand what is a covenant and why does it matter? Here's the thing. As you will begin to see, I'm going to give you a list of covenants. We're not going to look at all of them. We're going to look at a few of them. I'm going to try to go through this quickly. I know I talk fast. That shouldn't be any trouble, but um, this isn't in depth into the covenant idea. I just want to show you the concept because with any covenant, there are strings attached, all right? So what is a covenant? It's some sort of a formal, solemn, or binding agreement. We call it a contract today. You ever bought a house? Because if you have, you signed a contract. What's the contract say? I will buy your house and not back out for any reasons unless it's in these conditions. Anytime you do something anymore, you pretty much have a contract on everything in life. I like the old school method, you know, where you just shook somebody's hand and you actually perform what you said you were going to do. I miss those days. Everything is contractual. You can't hardly buy a loaf of bread without a seven-page contract from a lawyer. That's a little out there, but you get what I'm saying. So we have these ideas of contracts and covenants, and it's like, okay, God, if you made covenants, then what is my part in the covenant? We should ask that question. Well, there are two types of covenants. There's conditional and unconditional. A conditional covenant or a bilateral covenant is an agreement that's binding on both parties for fulfillment. Both agree to fulfill certain conditions, and if either party fails to meet their responsibility, that covenant is broken. Fair enough? If I am selling you my house and I have it under contract, and you have agreed to purchase it, and you say, I will show up with the money on March 1st, and I have agreed to those terms. And the next day after I've signed that contract, somebody shows up and says, I will give you double what they are giving you. What can I legally do? Nothing. I'm under a binding contract. But if I break that contract, I might get sued. Okay? But the thing is, it's like, I have agreed to do something. If they show up in March and don't have any money, what have they done? Broke the contract. 
At no point in time am I required to hold it for them anymore because they've not, they've not held up their end of the bargain. That is conditional. It is conditioned upon two people, bilateral, by two, more than one. Could be three, could be a bunch. The bottom line is it's conditional upon birth, both parties. We see that in the covenants of God. Here's another one, an unconditional or a unilateral covenant. It's between two parties, but one of them is required to perform. The other one is the recipient of. So if I sign a contract with you that says, I'm giving you my house, you have to do nothing. You just have to take it. That's it. No matter what happens. What did you have to do? You did nothing. It's our favorite thing. We do nothing. It's very simple. You guys see the difference in the two because it matters. It matters a lot to the understanding of where we are today. So let's look at a few of these covenants. Here's a list of them. This is not all of them. The Edenic, Adamic, Noahic, Abrahamic, Mosaic, Davidic, and of course the New. You like all the icks? These are smart people that put these in there. Now, the first two you could kind of combine into one. I'm going to show you why they separate it. And we'll go through these piece by piece. But the question we're going to look at is... What were the terms and agreements? Who is it with? And who is it for? Because that's what we have to understand. Because we're, again, remember, we're focusing on Isaiah 53. What is the point of that? And does it matter? Here we go. Let's look at the Edenic Covenant. This is the first one. Anybody want to take a stab in the dark where this might have transpired? There you go. Eden, for those of you playing at home. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And he said, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed you to you it shall be for food also to every beast of the earth every bird of the air to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life i have given every green herb for food and it was so so we see kind of what's going on god has said listen adam here's all the great things for you here's what you got to do we go to chapter 2 verse 16 it says and the lord god commanded man of the saying of every tree of the garden you may eat freely but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you should not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die so now there is a condition because the, the prior to this, you get to live in Eden. Life is good. Expand the garden. Move it apart. All of this stuff. Here's what I've provided for you. Here's what I need from you, Adam. One thing. One thing only. See that tree? Don't eat of that tree. That one's off limits. So it was conditional upon two people. Right? You guys see that? So if we were going to put this in a camp of conditional versus unconditional, we say it's conditional. Why? Because God had made a promise. And his, and his promise was over here. Adam had a condition slined up to it. You get to stay here, Adam, as long as you don't do this. What did he do? He broke the covenant. He broke the promise. He broke what God had said. So now this is considered a conditional covenant. In other words, two parties had a part to play in this. You guys see how that works. Okay? I know this is different and you probably never, may have never seen this stuff before. But I mean, I want you to catch this because it's important. Now let's go to the Adamic covenant. Okay, so we're fast-forwarding out of what they should do. Now we're looking at the result of what happened. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, it says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, this is after they ate of the fruit, 
Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed, her seed, he shall bruise your head, you will bruise his heel. The woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children, your desire shall be for your husband, he will rule over you. Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I have commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for dust you are and dust you shall return now we have three individuals three groupings here ultimately affecting all of mankind and you have god making a declaration he's going to put enmity between the seed of the serpent the seed of the woman painful childbirth there's going to be marital strife can you imagine there was none prior to this the soil's cursed. You got thorns and thistles introduced. The survival to struggle and, and to survive is all there. Death is now introduced, and death is inescapable for all people. What did Adam, Eve, and the serpent have to do to fulfill this? Nothing. It didn't matter. You see, God had made a declaration that this is what's going to happen. So if we're going to put this up, where would we put it? Conditional, unconditional? We would put it unconditional. Why? Because it didn't matter. This is, what, this is the world we live in today. There's no conditions tied to it. Here's how you get out of this. Here's how you make the ground not produce weeds. Wouldn't farmers love that one? Here's how you don't have pain in childbirth. Wouldn't women love that one? The men too, because we've got to listen to y'all whine about it the whole time. <laughs> My wife is good and says nothing. She says a lot when we get home, just so you know. Okay, so you guys get an idea of this, conditional, unconditional. You see, the conditional was you had two parties that had to perform. The unconditional one is where God is making a declaration on behalf of the people. In this case, we don't like that one. But the reality is, is this is the promise going forward. No matter what you have to do and what you say, it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't change it, okay? You have very little part to play in it. Now, let's talk about the Noahic covenant or Noah, okay? I don't want to say that word again. We know the story. We're studying it right now on Wednesday nights. We're talking about the flood. God sends a flood, wipes out all of mankind except uh, Noah and his family, all the animals that were there. They get off the boat. Now God is going to begin to make a promise. Genesis chapter 9, verse 8. It says, Then God spoke to Noah and his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. Okay, so is he establishing a covenant? Yes, he is. How do we know? Because he told us. Right? Not very complex. Verse 10. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you, all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth, I establish my covenant with you. Here it is. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. What is the covenant? Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. That's the covenant. Verse 12. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be a sign for the covenant between me and the earth. And it shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now, here's the thing. We've got the covenant. I will never again destroy the earth with, all, or with water. And then we've got the sign of the covenant, the rainbow. 
And what was that sign? It was a remembrance. When God sees it, He remembers His covenant. What happens when you and I see it? We should remember His covenant. He will never again destroy it, the world, with water. Now, we'll talk about this on Wednesday night, but there's the argument of was it a global flood or a local flood? Well, here's the problem. We have a covenant. If it was simply a local flood, then God has broken this covenant. And we experienced that a couple years ago, right? So here's the thing. What did Noah, his family, and every living creature have to do in the conditions and agreements upon this covenant to keep it in force? Nothing. So, if this conditional or unconditional, we would say it's unconditional. Why? Because it didn't matter what Noah did. Noah did some dumb stuff. You see that in chapter 9. But that doesn't matter because this has nothing to do with Noah's behavior, Noah's belief. Do you know that if Noah didn't have faith in this, it didn't make any difference? Because God had made a promise. So the promise was based off of what? The character of God. God has guaranteed. Has He ever destroyed the earth with water since that time? Nope. He hasn't. We've seen local floods, but we have never seen a global flood that has wiped off uh, mankind from the earth again. Today, you and I are a recipient of this covenant. And every time you see a rainbow in the sky, you should think about that. It's like, man, this is the same thing that God used to give a sign to Noah back then. That's where our mind should go. Often it doesn't. So you guys can see this. Again, we have another unconditional agreement for man from God. Based on what? God's promise. Keep Hebrews 10 in your mind. Now let's look at the Abrahamic covenant. Again, stepping out on a limb. Anybody want to guess who this is? It's the covenant with Abraham. And there's several parts to this and several layers to this. Okay? It goes over a, a vast amount of Scripture. I'm giving you the fast-forwarded version of this because we're not in-depth studying all the, the uh, parts of these covenants and whatnot, but just to give you an idea. Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to start, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay? Big part there. Right? Essentially we see a land is going to be given to Abraham, and out of him is every nation on earth will be blessed as a result. If Abraham does what? So far, nothing. Okay? Let's look at Genesis chapter 15. Now, this is where it starts to get interesting because Abram is put to sleep. Verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Remember, they could not have kids. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he had accounted it to him for righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? He said, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all the pieces of him, cut them in two down the middle, and placed each piece opposite the other. He did not cut the birds in two. 
And when the vultures came down, the carcass of Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, a horror and great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years, and also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterwards they shall come out with great possession. As for you, you should go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now, again, without getting too far into the weeds with this, we see another portion of this. He's giving the land, but now it's getting very specific on the land. And he knows that he's going to be the father of many nations, not just one, but many. So you should be able to think prophetically here. So far, what did Abram have to do in order to make sure that this happens? Nothing. He wasn't even awake for this. Right? Like some of you in here today. I get it. It happened to God. It can happen to me. He's not even awake. What, so far, what do we see? The promise is not based off Abram. It is based off God. Now let's go to chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Is this not what we've heard time and time again? Yes. Abram fell on his face and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make your nations uh, make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generation for an everlasting covenant. How long? Everlasting. How long is that? Still going. To be God, to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. How long is an everlasting possession? Forever. It's like, how long is an everlasting gobstopper? You ever try to get through one? You give up, don't you? And God said to Abram, as for you, you should keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generation. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight uh, days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generation, he who is born in your house or brought with, bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh as for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarah, but Sarah shall be your name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she will be a mother of, many, of nations. Kings and peoples shall be from her. Then Abram, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him 
As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful. Multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, with Sarah, whom Sarah shall bear to you at the set time. Then he finished talking with him and God went up from Abraham. Now we see three parts. We see the land, father of many nations, and the son. When we look at this covenant, we compare it to the others. Would you say conditional or unconditional? There's argument on this. You know why? Because the sign of the covenant was circumcision. Now that's weird, okay? Because you can look up in the sky and see the rainbow. I would not suggest you start looking for this one. You won't be happy with the outcome, all right? But here's the thing. The promise to Abraham was not conditioned upon the sign of the covenant. When you entered into the covenant, the flesh of the foreskin was then removed as a sign. Can you get uncircumcised? I know technology's come a long ways. I'm sure some liberal out there is coming up with a way to make this happen. But the bottom line is, is once you've entered into the covenant, there's no getting out of the covenant. You see, the promise was to Abraham, the land covenant, the sign had nothing to do with that. But for those who came after him, this was the sign. Why is that the sign? It's kind of weird. But the bottom line is the seed of the recipients of that covenant would pass through the sign of the covenant, thus creating more. So I say it's unconditional. Because the land promised to Abraham is still promised to the people of Abraham. And the fact that he's the father of many nations, we see reiterated again in the New Testament. That's never changed. The people of Israel still matter, and you and I are grafted into that promise. And so what I'm saying here is that God's promise is not based off of Abraham's ability to keep it. How do we know this? Well, if you fast forward to the time when they're going across the river, Joshua's leading them in. What did they do as soon as they got across the river? They stopped and they circumcised everybody because in the wilderness they weren't. And immediately... They were in that covenant. Prior to that, maybe they were outside of the covenant. So that's the thing. We, again, we're seeing this. This is based off of what? God's promise. How long is the everlasting covenant? It's everlasting. It's kind of like we sing this song, God's love never fails. It's everlasting love. It never stops. It never gives up. never runs out on me. Yeah, it goes on and 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 on. See Energizer Bunny. Okay. So again, you were seeing this pattern being able to be developed. Now let's go to the Mosaic Covenant, the one with Moses. We look at this and we begin to say, okay, God, I'm seeing a pattern. We have one conditional, we have three unconditional. Guys, there's covenants all throughout the Bible. I'm just giving you kind of the big ones. Exodus chapter 19, verse 3, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called, him, uh, called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. So who? House of Jacob, children of Israel, which is the nation of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which I shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded them. And then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words words of the people to the Lord. So Moses is interacting between God and the nation. God says, listen, you will be a special people to me if you keep my commandments. 
So what does Moses do? He goes to the people and says, hey, this is what God said. You guys want in or do you want out? They said, we want in. Why wouldn't you? If you've looked at this before, you kind of know, like, you'll be blessed or cursed. But just like anybody else, it's like, I can do that. I'll take the blessing part. And we see the fruit of that. Now, there's one more part of this. We see another sign. Exodus chapter 31, verse 12, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. What was the sign of that covenant? Sabbath keeping. Keeping of the Sabbath was the sign of uh, the, the Mosaic covenant. Now, here's the thing. Who was that covenant between? It was between God and the nation of Israel. And what were the conditions upon it? If you keep my commandments, you will be blessed. If you don't, you will be cursed. How long did it take them to break the commandment? 47 seconds. Right? They didn't last very long. So is this conditional or unconditional? This is conditional. Conditional. There were terms attached to it. Not only did God guarantee He would perform, but it was conditioned upon the fact that they would perform as well. At least the blessing aspect. You know what parts weren't conditional? God's part. Because His part said that if you keep my commandments, you'll be blessed. And they were. And if you break my commandments, you'll be cursed. And they were. So God was the unconditional aspect. But this was conditioned upon keeping between man and God. Now, let's look at the Davidic covenant. We see this in 1 Chronicles chapter 17. You guys know this. It shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you, uh, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you, who will be of your sons. I will establish his kingdom. He shall be, uh, build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will, be in his father, uh, in his, I will be his father, and he shall be my son, and I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him who was before you. And I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. What is going on here? God has promised David that somebody would sit on his throne for all perpetuity for all life and so God David knowing this what did David have to do to make sure that this happened nothing God promised it who's this ultimately referring to this is ultimately referring to Jesus Messiah when he comes he will sit on David's throne in Jerusalem here's the problem that hasn't happened yet which tells you something because we talk about the messianic reign the thousand year reign if this hasn't been fulfilled yet, it's got to. Jesus is going to sit on David's throne in Jerusalem. It's an end times thing that it answers there. Now, here's the thing. David had to do nothing. This was a promise of God on behalf of David, conditional or unconditional. It's unconditional again because David didn't have to do anything. It wasn't his ability to keep the commandments that made this promise come to fulfillment. In fact, we see later on that one of his sons or grandsons or great-grandsons, however the math works, Jeconiah, gets cursed and said, nobody from your line will sit on this. That is why you see Mary, who comes from the line of Nathan and not Solomon. That's the difference in the genealogies, because Jeconiah is not in that line, dealing with Messiah. I may have confused some of you. Sorry about that. Talk to me later. So, we see it built upon the promise of God. So, we see these different covenants. All of these are unconditional in the eyes of God. God will perform exactly how He said He would. But the condition on the good parts, at least, and the fulfillment of them, is conditional upon mankind keeping his end of the bargain. Fair enough? That brings us to the new covenant. We have to determine where this falls. Is the new covenant conditional 
upon man's ability to keep some promise, keep some list of rules, something, whatever that may be, or is it unconditional in the sense that it was made by God on behalf of mankind? Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 31. This is one of the spots that you see this. Verse 31, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It's not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Now, let's stop there. What covenant is this referencing? It's the Mosaic covenant. Did they break that covenant? Absolutely. So whatever this new covenant is, it's different than that one. We know because God said so. All right, verse 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now, Again, this is not going to be long and in-depth. I want to see, or to see a point here. We see as part of this the promise of this new covenant. We see that this new covenant is different than the Mosaic covenant, that covenant which they broke. So if you're wondering if I was crazy, he just said they broke it, right? So this one is going to be different. He gives us some of the details in this. And then we go into the new. We begin to look at the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 20, it says, And as much as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have made, become priests with, without an oath, but he with an oath by him said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent that you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus became a surety of a better covenant. What better covenant are we talking about? Well, we were talking about this Jeremiah 31, the new one. Now we see here there, in the book of Hebrews, you've got to understand what the context is. If you're reading the book of Hebrews and you're trying to isolate a passage, that does not work because the context of the book of Hebrews is the entire book of Hebrews. If you begin to isolate passages and you don't have a grasp of the Mosaic covenant, you will get confused in here and come up with some off-the-wall stuff. But here we see that he is not, according to the uh, line of Aaron, a high priest, but after the order of Melchizedek, which is somebody who predated the Mosaic law, that they never give his genealogy because it doesn't matter. God chose that man to be his high priest. We have Jesus who is a surety or a guarantor of a better covenant. Better than what? Better than the old one. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant which is established on better promise. So again, we see him the guarantee and meteor of whatever this better covenant is that's established on better promises. So we're moving up. We've been upgraded. It's kind of like you go to the airport and it's like, hey, we got an open seat in first class. You want it? Has anybody ever turned that down? No, of course not. So what is this better covenant? Well, let's look at verse 7, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. What are we reading? Jeremiah 31. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind, and I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for 
all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So now we know exactly what this covenant is that Jesus is mediating. It's the promise in Jeremiah. This is this new covenant. Now here's the question. Who is this covenant between? Because we see in a covenant that God makes, I will do this, you will do this, this is between God and people. But in this case, that's not how it works. It's interesting as you begin to drill down on this. Look at Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which according with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. The promise of eternal life is connected to this new covenant. When was that promise made? Before time began. When did time begin? In the beginning. That's interesting. This promise was made to whom? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus when? Before time began. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Who is the promise between? Between the Father and the Son. For whom? All of us. All of mankind. There's a distinction there. The conditions are on the promise of the Father and the Son. Let's look at a few more. Romans chapter 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us who, as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also so live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When was this promise made? Before time began. When was it ratified? At the cross. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation. To those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. But for to be carnally minded... 
is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, and the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God. We see, again, the acting of how one acts that's in this covenant. How does one enter into this covenant? By faith in Christ. What is the guarantee of this covenant? Eternal life. Who made the guarantee? God did. What is your part to play in it? Enter into it. You see, this new covenant is not conditional. It is unconditional. There's nothing you can do that breaks this new covenant. There's nothing that David could do that could break that covenant. There's nothing that Abraham could do that could break that covenant. But the Israelites could break the Mosaic, and they did. But the new covenant, like all of those, is unconditional because it's made on behalf of man by a promise of God. Hold fast to the confession of your hope because he who promised is faithful. That's in Hebrews as well. We've read a lot out of Hebrews. Why? Because he's talking to a group of individuals that were underneath that Mosaic covenant, the Hebrews. They understood it. This is not based on our work. Can you lose your salvation? Not according to this. And then that brings me to this next point. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs or our sickness and carried our sorrows, yet we have streamed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Now here's the question. If this bearing of our iniquities and bearing of our sicknesses was a part of the atonement that ratified that new covenant, is it guaranteed by a promise of God or is it conditional upon man keeping certain things? If we're going to follow the logic that we saw before, it is because it's God who has promised do you guys see this? Do you see these conditions? Because we have to get this. Because if we say that every promise of God is yes and amen, then how can we put every promise of God except this one? Or except that one? Because we hold fast to the confession of our hope based off the character of God. When you enter into the new covenant, what comes with that are all the promises of God and what conditions must be met by you in order to receive those? None. You are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And if that is true, then you are healed by God's grace through faith in Christ alone. We're just getting started. We're going to dig into this a little deeper because this is the problem. We have all these wild ideas out there, and our wild ideas are a result of nothing more than our experience. But if your experience doesn't line up with Scripture, then your experience is wrong. We have to begin to think biblically in every aspect. Every aspect, not some aspect. We need to vote biblically. We need to shop biblically. We have to work biblically. We have to do everything according to Scripture because it is the foundation and where we learn the character, nature, and will of God. 
We have to get back to the basics. We've gotten too far away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true and upon it we can receive every promise that you have given us. That we see the truth that is out there, Lord. And Lord, I thank you that we are not a people that are tossed to and fro, Lord, but that we stand firmly planted on your word, on your promise, knowing that everything that you have promised, you will fulfill. And Lord, I thank you that as we live our lives in such a way that we are not ashamed of the gospel and we are not afraid to share it, Lord, that we will enter boldly into your throne room to find the grace that we need and that in that we find our strength and our, our enthusiasm, Lord, to go out there and minister to those that are lost and hurting. That we are not afraid to share the gospel to those who need to hear it. And we are not afraid to lay hands on the sick for those who need it, Lord, as a sign to those who do not believe, Lord. I thank you, Father, that as we continue in this, that your spirit is moving in our midst. It's moving in each of our lives every single day. That our minds are softened. Our hearts are open to hear from you, to know the truth, and to act upon that truth, Lord. I thank you that each and every day is an opportunity in our lives that we can live more boldly for you and that we will make every day count. Lord, we give you the glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a blessed week. We'll see you Wednesday.